Hi, I'm Mark Olson, and this is The Real, a podcast where culture and entertainment meet. I write about movies. Here at The Times, and a frequent topic of conversation among my colleagues on the entertainment staff is how tough it is for any of us to just keep up with the relentless wave of content between movies and TV. So this show is about the stuff that we're watching and how we watch it. I was recently joined by some of my colleagues for a conversation about why horror seems to be capturing the mood of 2018. And because we here fully believe horror movies have something to say before, during, and after Halloween, I sat down with Luca Guadagnino, the director of the new Suspiria, to talk more about the movie in which Dakota Johnson and Tilda Swinton star in the tale of a dance academy in 1977 Berlin that's uncovered as a front for a coven of witches. Guadagnino talked about using the past to grapple with the present, the emotional roots of horror filmmaking, the divisive reactions to the movie, and gives an impassioned response to criticisms as to whether he should have made a movie about women and their bodies at all. But be warned, spoilers ahead. At the beginning, she gave me things. Perfect balance. Perfect sleep. She wants to get inside of me. I can feel her. She can see me. For anyone who kind of came to your films from Call Me By Your Name, which is this tender, romantic movie... What would you say to them before they watch Suspiria? Are, are you concerned at all that people need some kind of a warning before they see this film after seeing Call Me By Your Name? My instinctual answer would be trust uh, the coming of age that Suspiria is. <laughs> well, you know, like who knows me knows very well that I grew up in uh, love with the horror genre to, the, to a degree that I was kind of obsessed with finding all the horror movies I could. I had in my bedroom... Uh, the entire filmography of Argento to date in posters on the walls. I think I went to see The Fly. It was 1986 and I was 15. I must have seen it like 10 times in theaters. The cinema of the extreme has always nurtured me. I believe that Call Me By Your Name in some fashion is a movie of extremes. It's an extremely tender movie. And uh, uh, hopefully conveys uh, with great commitment the idea of what does it mean to fall in love for the first time. So in this case, in the case of Suspiria, the paradigm is to commit fully to what it means to enter a world of uh, a female world of powers and try to decofy it and understand it. Because I was wondering if in some ways... The closer analog is your movie, A Bigger Splash, which is also a remake, is a movie about sort of psychosexual power dynamics. It was written by Dave Kajanik and also stars Dakota Johnson and Tilda Swinton. Like For you, do you feel like your attitude towards the remake of Suspiria is the same attitude you had when you were doing A Bigger Splash? There are two things to be said. One is that uh, I believe in remakes as much as I believe in rom- in novels. I believe in short stories. I believe in uh, actual real life Uh, event uh, as a source for a movie. In believing in that, I believe that the story that you, where you draw your story is not important. It's important how you do it. (laughs) And the second thing is that these two movies are very different beasts. They are generating a very completely different terrain. The Bigger Splash comes from an input I got from someone who said to me, would you remake 
lapis seen by Jacques Deray because we have it in our library. And that's a sort of business model for Studio Canal. They, they keep making this rearrangement of uh, very glorious films they have in their library. And the answer was yes, because I felt that starting from a material that I was not particularly enamored with, I actually found, now I can say, they found La Piscina, a very mediocre film, which was made in a period in time and a moment of uh, history of cinema that was antagonizing that, the model of Jacques Deray. What Jacques Deray was doing was like bourgeois cinema de papa, as they would say, all the people from the Nouvelle Vague. And I, being megalomaniac, I said, okay, why don't we try to see the banality of the betrayals, uh, cheating uh, story that is like seen through the prism of an attitude that is more into the context of what was the mindset for, let's say, Nouvelle Vague or free cinema. That's what triggered me. In the case, so in a way, I was kind of not even antagonizing, but I was like dismissing the source material. In the case of Suspiria, I wanted to make it. I wanted to make it since I saw the movie in the first place in 1985. I was drawn by the idea that this incredible phantasmagoria that Dario Argento movie was could have led me to repossess it. I actually wanted to remake it, and now I know it, in the way in which in love you all, I, you know, like when some cannibal eat their loved one, they say, I had to have it inside me. In a way, I, I felt that kind of energy by <laughs> wanting to remake Suspiria. And I made every actions possible to make it happen for me. So it comes from a different perspective. It comes from a deep-rooted love. And so the outcome, it's of a, def- of a different uh, agency, you know? And so now having made your Suspiria, has it changed your feelings about the original now that you have consumed saw, it for I, yourself? I, I think I saw Suspiria by Dario at least a hundred times, but the last time I saw it, it was in 2007, the year in which we acquired the rights to remake it. Since then, I haven't seen it. So it's 11 years now, I guess, right? Since I haven't seen it for the last time. And I wonder if I should watch it again. Because how did you sort of come to your version of the movie, in particular, the way that you've set it in 1977, the year that the original film was released, and then you've included this context of the politics of the time with Butter Meinhof, with German Autumn. What was it that made you want to bring the outside world into this movie that can be so insular and self-contained? But because maybe the Dario Argento movie was insular and self-contained, you know, it was like a, I had this image today. It was like a box of wonders, completely sealed, without any interaction with what's outside this box. Shot in 76, played out in 77, the times in which a lot was happening in society, dread and, and fight and, con- and revolt and conflict was all over the place. And yet he had made that film by completely disacknowledging what was happening around. And he created a sort of uh, kind of Disney, in the sense of Walt Disney, recreation of a world from within. And maybe that was somehow the intuition that I had and that David and I explored deeply to open the story of Dario to the moment in which Dario shot the film. Also because 77 started to be a very evocative time for a year because of Suspiria and uh, many other great films, including Star Wars. 
But then the way that you've made your film, I mean, given that the original, when people talk about it, not many people talk about the story or the plot. What they talk about is the way that it looks, the style of the movie, the colors of the movie, and your version takes a much different approach to that. The way that you've kind of, and you be, tell me, you've kind of dragged it I believed down. in the story of Dario's film. I believed in this dance academy and this unfolding of the mystery of what's happening there. I started, I told, I mean, I remember, for instance, there is a scene in Dario's film where maggots and worms falls from the, from the ceiling. And then Madame Tanner, in that film played by Alida Valli, discovers that there are rotting pieces of food in the attic. And I think uh, I, I believed in that. I thought like, okay, I was thinking many, many, many times, like, what are those pieces of food? Why are these are there? Are those bodies of former victims? What I'm trying to say is that I was kind of serious toward... Uh, I, feel, I took for seriously what Dario and Daria Nicolodi were doing. And most of the time, the way in which Suspiria by Dario is processed is in a way in which it's the seriousness of it is seen in the formality of it, not in the story, not in the, let's say, in the mood of the story. But maybe because I was a sort of a feverish young teenager who was not very ironic about what he loved, I took it for, for something like grounded. And maybe Dario didn't, didn't as much as I did. So when it came to us, for me, it's serious. Like, I want to know the mechanism of how a covenant of witches work. I want to know what is the backstory. I want to know what is that's going on there. I'm not necessarily interested in display of uh, uh, visual phantasmagoria for the sake of it, which I never felt Suspiria was doing that. But I now read in reading it, I think that people think that Dario was kind of beautifully gratuitous in its approach. And so given that your movies are so sensual, they're so of the senses, in this movie, having these like grays and greens and having it so toned down, particularly from the original, I'm just interested in the, the fact that you like having your films be so expressive and here you've kind of pulled back from that and like why that is. And But even having said that, you still like are very careful in like the fabrics. I'm so taken with the the blade that you had Ted Mewling designed. Yes. That you still are interested in those things, but you've kind of, you've pulled back from it in a way and how conscious were you of that? And and what was it that made you like how, how you kind of responded to the style of the movie? I believe in creation of worlds. Every movie is a creation of world, even as a Ken Loach movie, like uh, sweet 16 recreate or create a world, even if you can, experience it and, and watching the movie, you think you are in Glasgow and that's like just a record of real life. No, every movie, it's a dream of reality. And uh, every movie is a sort of uh, representation of things. So when you commit to make a movie like this, you as a filmmaker have to be empowered and empower people to collaborate with you in order to make sure that the world you're building is really detailed and really well analyzed and brought to life. And with that, let's take a short break. This is Chris Gofford with the Los Angeles Times. I want to share some exciting news. Bravo is turning Dirty John into a limited TV series. 
starring Connie Britton as Deborah Newell and Eric Bana as John Meehan. It's a scripted dramatic series based on the Dirty John podcast and my newspaper series, a tangled story of love, family, deception, and survival. Catch the new series premiering November 25th at 10 p.m., 9 central, only on Bravo. And now we're back talking with Luca Guadagnino, director of the new Suspiria. When you were doing interviews for Call Me By Your Name and people would ask you about Suspiria because you were making the movie, you were working on it while you were promoting Call Me By Your Name, you would talk about Fassbender, a number of feminist artists, the choreographers that were inspiring the work that you do. For you, those kind of references and inspirations, how do they help you? Like, what does it do for you to have this kind of matrix of references that you kind of are drawing from as you're making something, especially a work like Suspiria? I would be nothing without my imagery. And my imagery is the outcome of uh, a vast uh, array of uh, conscious and unconscious uh, influences that I had in my life. And I was uh, humbled when I read an interview that Bertolucci made on, I think on Variety, in which he explained what is my approach. That was quite fantastic. (laughs) He said that I, like him, I draw from cinema and not from reality. And it's true. But I would say at large, I draw from what inspires me. So I think I would say movies and life, uh, movies and art, uh, not with a capital R, but anything that was like a, a, a punch to my brains and heart coming from a creative expression of self saved my life. But then to me, one of the big additions you've made to the story is the way that you've made explicit this idea of collective grief. And in particular with the coda at the end of the film with Lutz Ebersdorf, where did that come from? And what did it sort of mean to you to make that I so had, explicit? I, I had read this capital book called The Third Reich Language, Language of the Third Reich by Viktor Klemperer, whose name we, we utilized, we, we, we quoted in the name of the psychoanalyst Josef Klemperer, played by Lutz Eberdos, played by Tilda Swinton. And uh, I remember reading the book that how, how powerful was to see in this book in which he was accounting how the language of the great language of Germany was being perverted daily in a daily on a daily basis by the, the regime in order to basically through the change of language really morph the identity of Germany and the Germans to approve their politics. And it was a very beautiful story and a book and sad and beautiful because you could see the great philologists trying to remain sane and alive, alive mentally in this backdrop of mayhem. So I wanted to make sure that in dealing with grief and mourning and guilt, this movie could encompass an experience like the one of Victor Klemperer. And is that something that you feel is in Argento's film and that you've sort of like elevated so. that? Or do you feel like this is a new addition? I, I, I don't put myself in a pedestal and I, don't, I totally don't think that I elevate anything. I just do what I like to do. Uh, I don't think that was in Darius' film, though. And now tell me more about what you said about the mechanisms of the coven. In some ways, you, you kind of explore almost like this bureaucracy of witches, the way that they, they vote, the way the coven works. How did you discover those ideas? Like, how did you, for yourself, figure out this is how you want the witches to work? Well, this, this is most of that comes off of uh, David Kajanek and mine conversations. Uh, and it comes off of our absolute uh, 
belief that uh, we did wanted these witches to be the, like real women and they were entangled in real life things. There is a scene in the movie in which one of the witches who thinks that everything is lost and they're going to be wiped off from the face of earth. So they f- she feels that their actual group of witches is, is in danger of being eradicated. She kills herself. Spoiler. And the reaction of the witches, who we know are ready to perform any kind of terrifying evil and magic, it's the same reaction that you could have from any woman in that situation, which is despair, shock, outrage, confusion. They don't know what to do with someone killing it, uh, herself. At the same time, they've been hooking people. The movie exists in this feeling of just kind of creepiness, this sort of undertone of like something's wrong, but a lot of times you're not sure what it is. And it's not violent or gory in the way that even Argento's film often is until you get to this kind of big explosion of violence at at the climax of the movie. And how did you and Dave kind of decide that that's how you wanted to balance that out? And that that, I mean, in some ways I'm asking what for you is the meaning of that, that sequence when everything goes crazy? Well, the meaning of anything should be left in the eyes and the, and the brains and the heart of the, of the audience. I think that the entire story is built around the idea that they have to make this ritual. So it was unavoidable. <laughs> I would say the meaning is that it was unavoidable for them and for us. But to have it be so gory and so over the top when you've had such restraint up until then. I think it is restraint. It's, sim- it's simply the outcome of what they want to do. You know, there is a character who says they're going to hollow me out and eat something of my body on the plate. She says it at the very beginning of the movie. And we literally go there. I want to be sure to ask you about your relationship with Tilda. Sure. And what it is. I mean, the two of you have been working together for a very long time now. 25. And what is it that draws the two of you to each other? And what does that relationship mean to you? Well, this is a very difficult question to answer for one reason, because I'm, I believe I'm quite private, despite uh, uh, some interviews in which I, I, I am in a bathrobe. <laughs> because Tilda is a sister to me. She's a very, 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 very close friend with me, and we enjoy our mutual company enormously. And uh, this means that we enjoy being together, whether it is chatting, having a holiday, being maybe on her set or working together on a movie. And with this though, to have her play three roles in the movie. Yeah. First of all, do those three roles interrelate? Like, is it I purposeful so. that she, she in particular is playing all three First of, of those all, roles? First of all, I thought it was important that the male protagonist in the movie had to be created by a woman on a movie that is basically performed by women. Also, uh, yeah, I think they are kind of related, you know? I think they are. The three is a good number for this film. And everything that has three, it's something that is uh, important for the film. You mentioned earlier the character of Lutz Ebersdorf, played by Tilda Swinton. How long did you think you would sort of get away with the ruse that Lutz Ebersdorf well, was thought, a real person? We really thought that we were never going to say anything. The problem is that uh, when we were shooting in, in Germany, somebody, uh, probably a mall on the set, got paparazzi in front of the makeup trailer. And that started to create a sort of interest in the media that led us to be caught into this uh, situation where we were denying something that was. 
But the truth is that Tilda plays Lutz, who plays Klempera. Because I was so taken at the Venice Film Festival, the press conference there, <laughs> Tilda read a letter from Lutz Ebersdorf, and it mentioned that the movie specifically had to do with the dangers of delusion, the perils of a group mind, and the hysteria of separatism. And either you or Tilda wrote that letter, and is that explicitly what the movie is about to you and what you sort of think this movie in particular has to say? The letter, to was, written, the letter was written by Lutz Ebersdorf. <laughs> and so I like, I like those words. But again, I'm a bit shy in thematize what my work is about. But do you feel like those ideas are what make the movie relevant to our reality Probably. in 2018? Probably. I wish for the movie to resonate with people in a way in which they could think of what is the what does it mean to confront yourself with your own past and with the past at large. I know the movie has already generated a really divisive response. Some people really love it and some people really hate it. And was that something that you expected? Like, how, how do you feel about the response to the movie so far? No, I'm a little bit of an ingenue. I always try to do my best. And of course, because I come from film critic, that's what I was before making films. I enjoy and uh, endorse the art of film critic as much as I do love cinema as a fact. So, you know, you try to do your best. You somehow aim for some sort of uh, accomplishment, and then you wake up to reality. And then you see that the movie, as you said, is very div divisive. We had the LA Times today <laughs> and the New York Times. And they are a very perfect representation of what you said, the two reviews. Now, a lot of the criticism around the movie has revolved around the idea of whether you even should be the person to have made this movie. That is, Mark, I'm sorry. I step in. I think this is ridiculous. Because they say, someone said, oh, the movie is great and I wish it was a woman who directed it. But the, the idea that there has to be an antagonization in the perception of the movie because it's been directed by a man, as if the actual act of directing it is already an appropriation and a disempowerment of another person of the opposite gender, I think it's crazy because there wasn't an act of rejecting a female director here. Anybody who has written, read something about this movie knows that I thought about doing this movie when I was 15, 14. And so it's not like, yeah, man, let's go and do a movie about women. No, it's something that is really inside me as a person since I was a teenager. And as a producer, of course, I am uh, so, so invested in, in making sure that there is a creative ground that can be empowering talents from the very wider spectrum of creativity. And I worked many times with women directors. But how can I be made responsible of the fact that Suspiria is written and directed by a man? And by the way, yes, the director is an important person in the relationship to a movie. But this movie wasn't going to be possible without a very large group of incredibly talented and very proactive women that brought this movie where it is because of their contribution to it. Starting from the 38 female actresses who played in the movie to the almost, uh, I would say, 70% uh, uh, female gender feel, uh, crew that we had. Our production designer, Imbal Weinberg, 
woman, the entire production design team was 90% women, costume design women, visual effects is mostly women. So, you know, like, I don't know, I think it's uh, the debate, the public discourse about misogyny, about how we have to be responsible for gender equality, it's a very important conversation to be had. But it needs to be approached with more organic thinking. It cannot be black and white this way because it makes, in a way, to say something like what you quoted about Suspiria, it makes a disservice to the very important necessity of gender equality or even, I would say, super empowerment. Because do you feel the way the movie is so disturbing that that's the way that it grapples with misogyny, that it attempts to explore this world of the feminine, that you've made this somewhat monstrous movie about a very monstrous subject. This is my eighth feature film, and I would say that out of eight, probably six are completely centered on on female characters, portrayed hopefully in a very layered way, never having a female role be there because it functions vis-a-vis what is a cliche for a woman to be, the mother, the girlfriend, the grandmother, or worst, the menace. So if I do a movie that is uh, revolves around witchcraft and the practicing of evil within the boundaries of a completely female world, I don't think it's fair to say that I am dealing with the female world to portray it in a monstrous way first. And second, I believe that the witches in this film are a little bit more than just monsters. These women are women who are dealing with their actions. They are dealing with the decisions they made in order to become, let's say, powerful and and transcend the time and operate uh, control over over other people. Madame Blanc, for instance, she's caught into this dramatic melancholic internal struggle between following what she treasures the most, which is her art as a choreographer, and at the same time feeling that maybe she cannot do that because now she's too entangled in the practicing of witchcraft since she started to go for it. You know, like all these women are vast and differentiated portrait of many identities of women. They are not monsters. Luca, the movie is quite an achievement. And thank you so much for for taking some time to talk about it. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much. I hope I wasn't too verbose. No, heavens no. (laughs) Thank Thank you. And that wraps up our conversation with Luca Guadagnino, the director of the new Suspiria. And so for LA Times Studios and The Real, I'm Mark Olson. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.